0: And as you head out, would Betsy Williams, I believe, come on up. There she is. All right, Betsy, take it away.
1: Hi, y'all. Mark 11, 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and we'll bring it back here immediately. They went away, and they found, found a colt tied outside in the street. They untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming of the kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered in Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, it was already late. He went to, out to Bethany with the twelve.
0: Way to go, Betsy. Give it up. Um, so the, the beauty of the Psalms is that it gives us all of this all of these words, all of this deep resource to be able to express all of those things. And hopefully you have been given some words through that exercise to even maybe mine out some things that you didn't even know were in there. The other part of every good lament Psalm, a Psalm that brings forth grief and loss, it equally brings out hope. And so this passage is bringing us now from a place of grief and loss and walking us forward towards hope. Even literally, this is the triumphal procession. This is Palm Sunday. This is a Sunday that very well fits in the context of what has just occurred this week because there is sorrow in Jerusalem as Jesus enters. There is grieving in Jerusalem as Jesus enters. There is evil in Jerusalem as Jesus enters and he goes right into the middle of it. But he does it in a unique way. So I'm gonna ask a goofy question, but just to bring you into what's happening Have you ever watched the cars that NBA players drive up in to their games? Have you seen all of these cars? Like, I'm going somewhere, I promise. I'm not trying to be a reference. Like Chris Paul with the Phoenix Suns, he drives up in this chromed-out 1977 Chevy Monte Carlo. Jet black, huge rims, chromed-out. Derrick Rose uh, with the New York Knicks drives up in a Bugatti, worth 1.9 mil. Kyrie Irving uh, with the Dallas Mavs drives up in a Lambo SV Roadster in case anybody has one and was wondering which one. Uh, and there's a news story that came out in January. Luka Doncic, uh, also with the Mavs, had pulled up in a six-wheel tank. Did you see this? It was... Uh, it kind of looked like the Batmobile because important people drive important cars. Powerful people have powerful transportation. And so isn't it odd that the most powerful person in the history of the universe comes in riding on a baby donkey? Interesting. Because what if Michael Jordan pulled up to the 98 championship in a Toyota Camry? There would just be something like, oh, responsible choice there, MJ. (laughs) But at the same time, it's like, that does not square with what's happening here. Like, you're a champ. You should be driving something that champs drive. Then it... As we're engaging in this story, as we're engaging in this week that we're about to walk into, beginning with Palm Sunday, as Jesus enters into Jerusalem, and then the events that will unfold between now and this Friday, Good Friday, that will result in his death. And then the three days after that, that will lead us to the glory of the resurrection. What does this passage have to tell us about who this Jesus is? Because we need this Jesus to ride into this room right now. We need Jesus, this Jesus to ride into Nashville right now. And so what does this tell us about who this Jesus is? It tells us at least two things. The story Just before this is a story of Jesus weeping at his friend Lazarus' grave. And two things are true about Jesus in that moment. One, he is weeping with his friends. Two, he is powerful enough to raise that man from the dead. He is humble and he is powerful. And both of those things are coming true as this most powerful being rides in on this humble donkey. Because in the chaos that we have just experienced this week, we need Jesus to meet us here, both with a humility that identifies with every field that you feel and every loss that you grieve. We need a Jesus who can experience that with us and just sit with us in it. We also need a Jesus who is powerful enough to do something about it. And that's the Jesus that's riding into Jerusalem, and that's the Jesus that's riding into Nashville, and that's the Jesus that wants to ride powerfully into our lives today. So very quickly, and then we're gonna run to the table together. Um, Jesus, the humbly powerful king is our first point. And then two, our humbly powerful lives as a result of following him. Jesus, the humbly powerful king, our humbly powerful lives. So if, if you remember, this situates itself. We've been in this series in Genesis that just halted at this great promise in Genesis three. We see why brokenness, why evil, why sin exists based on the last few weeks that it was ushered in by Adam and Eve. Evil ushered in evil into the world and all of creation broke. And so now sin and death and sorrow and tears and pain come flooding into the world and that is the world that you and I are born into. Now we're taking this massive fast forward all the way from this promise built into Genesis 3 in the very middle that says, there is a day coming when sin and evil will have their and then all things will be made new. And in that kernel of a promise, now throughout the Old Testament, little by little, all of these little clues begin to leak out about who this Jesus will be, who this Messiah will be who's coming. Like Genesis 49, in the same book, uh, says that there is a scepter, there is a rule, a king that will come out of the line of Judah. That is King David's line a little bit later in Isaiah 53 we give we're given this glimpse of this king who is also a suffering servant who is well acquainted with grief we need a Jesus who is well acquainted with our grief today in Micah 5 we're shown that this suffering servant who is a king would also be born in Bethlehem very specific And then we see in the beginning of the gospel accounts of the life of Jesus, all of these things beginning to roll out and be fulfilled time after time after time, moment after moment after moment. And what we see, anytime the Bible repeats something a lot, pay attention. Doesn't it seem real weird? that half of the passage, we even had this discussion as pastors this week, like half of this passage isn't very triumphal. It just talks about the way they found the donkey. Why is there so much emphasis on this donkey? Well, maybe Mark and the Holy Spirit through Mark is trying to tell us something about who Jesus is. Harkening back all the way to one of these other little clues found in the Old Testament, Zechariah 9, it says this, verses 9 and 10. Rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, listen to the language, your king is coming. There's that kingship language again. And he's coming to you in two ways. One, righteous and having salvation. And humble and mounted on a donkey. Both of those things being held in tension, now Jesus floods on the scene, even fulfilling that one. Saying that there is something unique about this king that is not what you would expect him to be. Because what's up with the palm branches? You ever wondered these things? I don't want to take it out because my wife made these and she'd be mad. And it's really pretty. But... You ever wondered what that's about? The Maccabean Revolt, which happened somewhere around 150 years pre-Jesus. Judas Maccabeus leads this revolt against the Syrian occupation in Jerusalem. This is where the celebration of Hanukkah comes from. The Syrian ruler Antiochus was a grimy dude. He had killed thousands of Jews at that point. He sacrifices a pig on the Temple Mount. And then he makes the Jewish priests eat that pig. Judas Maccabeus like brings this entire revolt against all of these people, against the Syrian invasion. And he's lauded as this amazing hero. He's given given the nickname the hammer because that's what he did. He came and brought the hammer and they celebrated him in that moment by waving palm branches. They even minted a coin to commemorate that day with a palm branch. And so they're beginning to hear these similar things being said of this Jesus. They're very familiar with their Old Testament. They know, oh, they're starting to connect some of these dots. Yes, he was born in in Bethlehem. He was from Nazareth. He was a man of sorrows who has been acquainted with grief. And he is also this one who speaks with such power. Who is this Jesus? And all these things are beginning to come together in the Israelites minds, in the Jewish mind, and they're beginning to say, I think this may be him. And then finally, in this moment, Zechariah 9, 9 and 10 comes rushing into their minds as they see Jesus is fulfilling this promise all the way back from Zechariah. But Remember, they're also under a similar persecution. They're under a similar occupation, a Roman occupation, a Roman oppression. And so their anticipation is in the same way Judas did it and we waved the palm branches for him, so Jesus is gonna do the same thing and we're gonna wave some palm branches for him. And yet they've missed the whole point of him riding in on this humble, lowly donkey is that that is not the way that the palm branch is gonna be waved for him. Because the power of the kingdom of God is subversive. It is upside down. It is not the way that you and I wield power naturally. And it's not the way that this world wields power naturally. Because power in our minds is wielded by asserting it. Power in Jesus's mind is wielded by laying it down. And that's what he does. And so this movement into Jerusalem is not a movement in power. Notice he doesn't go to the throne. They may have expected him to walk up towards the palace and instead he walks to the temple. And then did you notice how abruptly the passage ends? And then he went to the temple and then he kind of looked around and then he's tired so he went to bed. This is not what they expected. And probably this is not the Jesus that you and I expect or maybe even appreciate in weeks like this. Jesus, we need you to ride in not on a dumb donkey, but we need you to ride in on a white horse and wipe out some stuff. And yet for this moment, he has said no. Because his power comes still and small His kingdom comes like a mustard seed and grows and grows and grows. But when we want power, especially when bad things like this happen, we feel this rise. Did you feel this rise this week? I got to do something. I got to fix something. I got to, that's a natural response. No shame in that game, but be aware of what that might be doing to you. Is that either swaying you in the direction of misplaced anger and pride to say, I will fix this. There will be no more of this. Or maybe it sways you the other direction into cowardice and shame and despair. Well, this is awful and I feel powerless and I can't do anything, so I'm going to do nothing. Maybe you go back and forth and back and forth like me. Because the power that we want is not the power that Jesus gives and it's not the power in which the kingdom comes. Because what we see in this week that we are about to walk with Jesus is a demonstration of true power. A power fully yielded for the sake of those he loves. A power fully laid down for the sake of those who don't deserve it. Sin and death could not be defeated by knocking on its front door. It had to be defeated by going inside. If it could be defeated by power, we would have already done it. And there wouldn't be any more problems. But Jesus had to go in the belly of the beast, taking on all the evil and absorbing it into him, including ours, including all the ways that you and I may have gone up and down and left and right this week. And then he blows the doors off of it in the resurrection. And so I'm inviting you in this week to take that same posture of humble power this week. As we walk this, especially in this next week, the words of Philippians 3 rang in my mind. We're going to come to the table after I read this. Because what we want is God's power to be made known here, right? How does Philippians 3 tell us we do that? It says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Yes, that's the kind of power that I want to fix this thing. That's the power that I want to fix me. And may share his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Humble power looks like walking into suffering. Not conquering over it, but sitting next to it. Being familiar and acquainted with grief. You may have felt like running away from that grief this week. Be acquainted with it because that will be the way that as you are more and more acquainted with the evil that is in this world, the evil that is in your own heart, then you will be more acquainted with this Jesus who eventually will make all things new. So we can either share in this suffering or we can skirt around it. Every one of us are gonna wanna do that. But in the same way that Jesus is in the grave for three days and he waits, So this week especially, I'm asking us collectively, would we take a posture of waiting on the Lord? Whatever wrong you want to be made right, not forever, just for this week, wait. In the very same way that Jesus said, I want you guys to go make disciples, but before you do, I want you to wait on the power because the power ain't in you. So wait. And so as we collectively wait on the Lord this week, we're gonna trust him. We're gonna trust his kind of power with that self-sacrificial grace and that keenly applied truth that only Jesus can do. We begin to work itself out in our hearts, work itself out in our cities so that come Easter Sunday, we are sent out into this world as the agents of good that he has made for his disciples to be but we have to take fuel. We have to take, this is a little self-care moment. You've been pouring out a lot this week. You've been giving a lot of yourself. This is a moment for you to just be with Jesus. And so for all who collectively have come to the place of saying, I can't do this alone. I don't have the power in and of myself and I definitely don't have the humility. In myself, I feel my pride rise every moment. Yes, I can fix it. Oh, no, I can't. Yes, I can do my life by myself. Oh, no, no, I can't. I screwed it up again. For all who need that kind of power, who need Jesus to ride into their life, this is your table. If you're still trusting in your own power to run your life, this is an opportunity to lay it down. There's no shame in that game either, but take this opportunity to lay that down and bring it to the cross. As we do this collectively, there will also be um, some members from our elder team and also our prayer team. And they're gonna be kind of scattered around the periphery of this room, recognizing that we don't know where everyone is at in this room. But if, if the Lord is doing something in you that you can't even put words to, but you need someone to just pray for you in that, if you're overcome with a sense of grief, uh, if you're angry and you can't figure out what to do with it, if you're sort of just numb and not even sure where you're at, invite somebody, just, hey, give a little, give a little nod. And we have a team that is equipped and ready to come alongside you and pray for you. If you need to spend some more time up here, uh, you can cross your arms when you come up and someone can pray for you here as well. Or if you need that once you get back to your seat, then you can just flag over uh, somebody from that team, okay? Because on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. There's a new way to know for sure this morning what God thinks about you and if he is active in your life. And that's the cross. And that's his resurrection. So would you eat and drink deeply in remembrance of what he's done for you? And then let's worship and let's pray. There's freedom. If you need to kneel, if you need to pace in the back, if you need to grab somebody and hug, whatever would help you to walk towards Jesus. Let's walk with him together. Okay? Let me pray. So Father, we ask that in these moments where we feel the most vulnerable, that you would be our shield. In these moments where we feel most afraid, that you would be our comfort. Uh, In these moments where we have nothing but nothing to bring to you, would you be our fullness. Meet us now at your table communicate your love for the undeserving with us at the front of that line as we eat and we drink and remember and glory in the cross. Thank you, Jesus, that you have bent this world in that direction that all things are being made new. We trust you to do that hard work and we trust you to use us as you call. We pray in your name.